Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing of good economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info at marketplacebiz.com and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Al. Hello and welcome back to the Platform Podcast. Today, I am pleased to welcome the co-founder and CEO of Pasabi, Chris Downey. Welcome to the Platform Podcast, Chris. Lovely to be here. Thanks very much. Now, I'm just going to do a shout out, first of all, as they say on local radio, to your other co-founder, and that's your CTO, and that's Martin Spinks, isn't it? Now, you are a a founder duo and a CEO and CTO team. I'm interested to hear about Pasabi, particularly as it rhymes with wasabi and I imagine that wasn't um, that wasn't an accident. No, no, it, it, that was it. We just wanted something that rhymed with wasabi. No, I, it's funny. <laughs> whenever anybody asks about the name, I, I like I want I want a better story. And, um, <laughs> but uh, it originally came from um, we we didn't we didn't do kind of fraud detection or counterfeit monitoring or any any of that kind of things before we were actually building a kind of a personalization service for like a mixed consumer product and also for for kind of b2b and so that was originally it was personalization as a service b <laughs> and and i had and i didn't want to put the two a's in the middle of it because i thought that looks far too startupy so so we just shortened it down to that because it kind of looked good but when we were actually testing the product you know when you, you we had people coming in and testing it and we were kind of monitoring them from other rooms and stuff like that and uh, and i had other people saying oh you know pasabi actually it's a word in in tagalog and and, and it means uh, communication given or sent and i was thinking god that, that's that's much better i should definitely <laughs> go with that when anyone <laughs> asks me but i still i fail every time i go well you know this is the reason so we stuck with it and then i think i had about 10 thousand hours conversations about should we change the name to something else and it's like mm, no so even when we changed focus um we just kept kept the name. And it still works and you think about all these poor brands like i always think car phone warehouse is a good example it's like that really wasn't a yeah. name for the ages was it yeah no I, I, it always cracks me up that one but you know but you just say it and you're happy with it you know yeah it's car phone go to car phone for us get a phone you know what for your car? No. <laughs> now, Chris, you are based in Edinburgh, same as me, which is unusual yes. on the platform podcast. So, um, although we are online, I'm waving across the city to you. Tell yeah. me a bit about um how you came to set up Pasabi and um and what's happening for you in terms of clients and what and what do you do exactly? Sure. Well, I, I guess I'll, I'll take that in a totally different order. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what what Pasabi does now is we're a, a behavioral analytics platform that helps um, so it helps our customers kind of spot and tackle fraudulent behavior. Um, so for some customers like Trustpilot, we help them spot the actions of review sellers and help them spot fake reviews and fake content. For other kind of global luxury brands and 
other brands like that. We'll help them kind of monitor how their brand is being uh, misused uh, across different platforms. So that's what Pasabi does. That is not what we intended to do. Um, we, we, we set out to do something completely different. Um, and I should say, full disclosure, we know each other before from, from agency days. <laughs> we do indeed. And it just shows how actually, you know, in the early days, we do, I mean, we're not obviously sharing our exact ages, but there was a time that uh, you were part of one of the most, uh, you know, innovative agencies in Scotland who had decided to focus on on digital and you were being set up in the ad agency that I was working in so and it was all it was all super ahead of its time and um, I seem to remember you were your company was sort of allowed a kind of small corner of the room and um, and and we didn't really think it would last so it's amazing (laughs) now you know look at you now yeah well well there you go and and I I really just want to do that so you do half my story for me there that's good so (laughs) So I did. I came from that world, that agency world, and um, and I think kind of in twenty ten, I, I you know I moved on and I went ended up working at um, at Skyscanner. So this was my kind of first um, foray into product um, with them, kind of developing product. And I think that was what that was kind of what really started the the desire to go off and, and set up our own company. Um, you know, working in product, you remember, like working in an agency is good because you get to do a large variety of, of things and you do quite, it's quite exciting in that manner. But sometimes you're left with the sense that you can't really see something through to its completion. And so it can be a bit uh, more difficult that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas going and working at a company like Skyscanner, I felt, I actually felt a better fit because then I was able to focus on one audience and a series of products to, to fit that audience. And so, and it was a really exciting time. I think they were they were kind of really starting to grow at that point. There's maybe eight. I think I joined at right number eighty odd, and we went up to mm. about two hundred in that period of time. So there was still small enough that you had a significant effect. I was running some of the development teams, and um, so it was really just a really interesting uh, and exciting foray into the world of what it means to develop a product over a longer period of time. And they were way ahead of their time in a in a. a, a away weren't they because I mean people hadn't really heard of you know ticket sale travel sale platforms and when Skyscanner came along there wasn't really as many out there is that right I mean to me they seem yeah. to be really capturing something quite early on totally I mean I think as well like you look at everything is of its time you know and and it's and, and timing is a huge thing I think you're quite right there really wasn't anything like that around so they were able to kind of capitalize on that and um and you know i think it was really exciting to see how they focus you know there was some stuff in the states um hipmunk and other other companies like that and i remember you know talking to the investors that came in early with skyscanner um about you know how they focused on like the world uh, european and, and and the rest of the world which allowed them to 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 make it establish themselves there because a lot of the state-sized companies really focus on the states, so it was, it was a really it was a fascinating kind of in, introduction into how you move from startup to scale up and what that journey looks like. So and presumably, it would also have given you, without putting words into your mouth, an insight into the you know the the kind of downside of of that platform transaction and how open that maybe 
lets people be to 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 fraud and counterfeit is that right uh, yeah yeah i don't think that was a major problem for because as a kind of an affiliate aggregating platform like skyscanner I, I think there was less of a fraud concern at that time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you can see I, I think the main thing i learned about companies that size i think it, it's difficult if if you've not been in that that situation but even with a lot of money and a lot of uh, people, it's hard to turn the ship around and focus on things like suddenly focus on fraud detection, for example, when you've got roadmaps that see you out. And it's all about growth, you know. And I think that for us as a company now, for Pasabi, that's been one of the key things is we've been able to go to companies that have been focused on growth and, and in, in the same kind of position that Skyscanner are in. Um, and, uh, and, we've been able to come in and give them this external perspective to help them really deal with significant problems that they have. And that's, and that really with new kind of regulation changes that are coming in next year, you know, there's even more of a need for, for companies to to kind of deal with that. So Mm -hmm. I think that the time with Skyscanner helped me understand kind of the, the motivations and the momentum that goes into kind of this product, Mm -hmm. this massive product growth kind of companies. And that's why, we are looking to to kind of talk to and target companies like that, hence Trustpilot. Mm-hmm. And then after Skyscanner, um, was was that the point where you had decided to to set up Pasabi? Yeah, yeah. I, I had a little foray into working in corporate land for a while there when I was trying to work out what it was I wanted to build. I, I went and worked at the Rank Group, which was interesting. Um, so kind of like, um, I I never was into any kind of gambling or anything like that. So, but I, I worked there because I was running a team out of Edinburgh. So it was quite, and, I, and I'd never worked in a corporate sense. I'd always worked agency side. And so it was kind of really, that was fascinating. And I don't think, but then I felt sad every time I walked past the bookies. So I was like, right, okay, <laughs> no, time but... to really do what I planned to do and move on. So we did, we started Pasabi and um, Martin and I had met at, a, at a, an agency prior to the one that, that you knew me from, from Blonde, uh, an agency called Realize. And it was, we were very young then. And uh, I think that was, well, let's just say it was late 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> um, but uh, Martin had come in from university uh, and doing AIs as his degree. We were actually building a product within the agency called, it was a knowledge management product when people were still, letting small companies build things for them you know we were building this kind of this this product that was kind of a search engine for businesses for their own intranets when those things were still something and uh, but the interesting thing there was um learning you know it's really hard to build a product in an inside in a service business you know because every time you make progress then somebody's knocking on the door asking for their website to be blue this week and you have to drop what you're doing mm. and go off and do that. So so Martin and I had known, we thought, you know, we were doing some interesting things with AI techniques way back then. We always knew we wanted to pick it up. So it was coming out of that that thing with Skyscanner. I thought, you know, let's let's do something exciting with that technology, which was even then starting to become more realistic to use. Um so we but our original plan had been very different. We were we decided we were going to do like improve personalization, because personalization was always based on what everybody else likes, not what you like. So our big plan had been to use social data and things like Pinterest to mm-hmm. kind of model out what people are, what, what they were going to buy next. So we could build, we use kind of affiliate marketing uh, 
data to build personalized shopping experiences for people. <clears throat> so that's what we built. And we, we were t- that was testing really well. And we were kind of looking to raise money. And, and we were in France raising money as well because we were part of an accelerator at Paris. Um, and so that was that was all very exciting, although it was just a terrible time. This was about three, four years ago, a terrible time to raise money for a mm. B2C product in in uh, in in fashion because fashion we, we focus on fashion because volumes of data artificial intelligence is, is and, and you know and, and also key uh you know uh, in terms of like mm-hmm. being able to generate revenue so we had been focused on using the product for that purpose um and it was then that because we were struggling to raise money at the time we had also we pitched to uh, a lady in Edinburgh called Anna Fremantle used to run the Edinburgh Fashion Week and in the background was a guy we didn't know and his name turned out to be David Lindsay and he had just taken a job with um, uh, LVMH that's uh, that's the group that we did some experimental work with off of that relationship so um, what was really interesting about that was that um, he looked at the technology kind of came to us at the end and said I, I really like what you're doing I don't know how I can use it in my new job, but I'd be really interested to experiment with that. So, um, so he had now, at that point, had moved to Paris. So Martin and I decided to basically just call him up. We stayed up to two o'clock in the morning in our Airbnb, and I came up with a bunch of ideas that we could unbundle our technology and use it for a for a for a B two B purpose. So we came to him with a bunch of ideas, and then that's where we did a, an initial kind of six month engagement with him, um, purely experimenting, looking to see what we could uh, what we could use the technology for to help them. And so, really, we built out of that. We were kind of moving, twisting our way towards kind of product market fit. So, uh, and we kind of moved from kind of uh, social analysis and intelligence for marketing purposes more towards the world of counterfeit and fraud because it, it was a it was a better fit ultimately the technology was this was very similar underneath we still use some of the same techniques we use mm-hmm. to it's instead of spotting patterns of marketing behavior we're spotting patterns of of um of fraudulent behavior mm-hmm. and counter, uh, counterfeit behavior that's amazing and, and how you know, you probably couldn't have anticipated any of these twists and turns and the way that turned out. But, you know, it's all just it's all all now kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, that whole pivoting journey, it, it's funny. I, I work with well the folks at Codebase. I'm sure you know Codebase if you're based in Edinburgh and mm-hmm. an incubator here. So sometimes they talk to them on the pivoting kind of the the premise because we've changed our I mean I've you're, just described you're a like couple the king of, of pivot well yeah <laughs> um so we, we I mean you wouldn't like we, we're not part of the, the game plan for how you do these things at all you know I mean <laughs> we we built some stuff and then found it to fit you know like I think yeah. you're supposed to do it the other way around you know? but, but you, um, you also adapted and and were able to you know you weren't kind of like no we're not doing that that's not what we set out to do and no. I think you know especially you know these in this kind of post-pandemic times people are just having to kind of adapt and and do it differently aren't they yeah yeah and it was a challenge for the pandemic was a challenge for us as well I mean we were making good headway in the kind of um kind of space um but then things slowed down a little bit and are uncertain because of what was happening and some of the luxury brands that we were dealing with were, were, were suffering at the time as well from ahead of ahead of the the Mm. the problems because you know they, 
things were happening in China. Chinese New Year was effectively cancelled, and that's about thirty percent of the luxury market now. So that 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 really affected them. So it affected some of our things that we were doing. Uh, but uh, but that's when we made a, a subsequent pivot, which was always part of our plan. Was that because what we do is we spot bad behaviour, we spot fraudulent activity. It's something that that we differs from us from say a, a brand protection customer who a brand protection uh, company who maybe look for look at the, the products and try to look for counterfeit products we've always looked at behavior so mm-hmm. we've always looked at negative behavior and then kind of classified it so that's where we meeting trust pilot we look to to move towards looking for activities of people who are writing fake reviews and fake content as well so so yeah. when you talk about sort of the telltale signs of, of you know counterfeit sellers what, what i mean is it is it a secret can i ask what the telltale signs are is that giving away your <laughs> giving away your secret formula i'd say that the telltale signs of fraudulent activity um are in the, the behaviors that people are exhibiting when they're trying to disguise their activity so whether you're looking at fake reviews and fake content, whether you're looking for counterfeit behavior, um, often they're trying to disguise who they are. So they're using services to protect them in terms of like what IP address they're registering with. They're maybe using false email addresses and things like that. But um, but it's the, you can't hide the behavior. So you can try to look for those behaviors in counterfeit or anything where somebody's trying to sell something. The difficulty then is that, that for them is that they then have to still sell. So they have to communicate the fact that they're selling. So, you know, we will look for the behaviors of people who, who kind of fit that model, you know, who, who look like they're basically dodgy and their behaviors look dodgy. And we'll look for that, that pattern behavior, whether it's on somebody else's data, like Trustpilot, or whether it's across many marketplaces and, and social media, we'll, we'll, We'll spot those patterns of behavior, and then we we kind of match that behavior to um, to kind of reputational behavior. So historically, how have you know those email addresses, IP addresses, and everything been used, and have there any marks against their uh, against their uh, them in terms of what they've been used for in the past? You know, any uh, any other bad behavior registered against those entities? So. By combining kind of like the patterns we see within the data and the behavioral patterns with that reputational data, then we can kind of highlight the biggest um, problems for our customers. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to ask you something, and this might sound like this is a real layman's question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I'm sure other people want to know this as well. You talk about sort of detecting um, and, you know, finding out counterfeit sellers and, mm-hmm. you know, combating them. When you find these people... What do you do with them? Do you sort of, do you know, <laughs> I was like, imagine, you know, do you call the police or is there a way of reporting them or do you just sort of get rid of them and then they're someone else's problem? How does that actually work? We find their offices and then we throw stones <laughs> through the windows, things like that, you know, call them out in the street. No, um, Pasabi as a technology platform is really designed to to find and gather that evidence. That's what it does, you know. So we work with other partners or with brands themselves so that they can deal with the enforcement part of that. So the enforcement is a is a separate process. You know, this is where 
um, you know, Tr Trustpilot themselves have their own distinct uh, enforcement processes, which are, you know, in, in the case of of some of the of the of the companies using their platform, it's not necessarily about taking direct legal action or anything. It's about knowing who might be being a bit naughty and then going speaking to them. You know that that, but it's important because if they don't look like they're dealing with that, then people won't have trust in the platform. For for um for brands who are interested in brand protection or how their brand is being mistreated, sometimes it's about the effect on the brand. You know, like if if you're a large luxury uh, brand and when you go into Instagram or something, you know, all you're seeing is well, these clearly fake or unauthorized goods, and um, then that that has a significant effect on mm -hmm. on that authenticity of the brand. So their enforcement path may be more towards, you know, let's let's form a takedown. And let's let's talk to those platforms and get this stuff removed, which which is a complex beast in itself. Because of course, you know the legislation in different territories is diff can vary a lot as well. So so we work with partners who are expert in in um, in being able to do that enforcement piece. So so it varies from brand to brand. So mm -hmm. or who ha or marketplace or platform, what level of uh, enforcement they they are able to do and what they look for from us and our partners. Right, right. And I also read and I was interested to see that you talk about review sellers who are paid to game your system. Tell me a bit about that. It sounds um, intriguing. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, this this I mean, this happens across the board. You'll see it on. Uh, there have been challenges for other platforms like Amazon and so on, who where people uh, can gain an advantage against the competitive brand. So maybe they are, maybe you are a, a seller on a platform and you are looking to boost your your position. So then you you're engaging with a review seller who you can you will find out there if you go and search. These are people offering to sell reviews on these platforms. Oh, okay. So sometimes they're generated automated by, by bots. Sometimes it's people that are paid um, and they're they're writing f fake reviews. Sometimes they're done to boost the company that's paying for them. Sometimes they're also writing negative reviews against competitors. So this is one of the key areas that we help with because we look for the... So what we look is we look at all of the data and we look across all of that for patterns of unusual behavior that goes across the different um, the, the different companies that might be using a platform. And by mm -hmm. doing that, then we can we can identify the patterns of the review sellers who are clearly operating for all their customers. So, so that was something that, for example, I mean, Trustpilot as, as an example, we're already looking for fake reviews in, in individually and we're doing a lot of good work there. We are able to give them a deeper level of insight so that they're able to spot this kind of behavior and that's then that's a big deal for them um just quickly quick question that occurred to me because i know that a fair amount of our audience is us based how sure. does how do the problems that people encounter in different um territories how how do they differ and or or is it because we're this sort of global platform economy it it doesn't necessarily presumably there are local or national sort of you know acts and leg legislation and and things that mean that people have to comply in different ways is that right yeah absolutely i mean the the for a start i would say the regulatory landscape is changing um so Next year, you know, in in the in Europe, there's the DSA is coming into play, 
and that and and in the states, you know, we have the Shop Safe Act um, that's been in kind of from about twenty twenty. So, you know, the, the the landscape is changing more away from brands having to worry about how their products are counterfeited or or what they're on different marketplaces. The, the, originally, it was really for the brands to kind of monitor those things and report what they see. The landscape is shifting through regulation towards platforms, marketplaces being responsible for for the content on their on their sites, and that you know that's not just that's not just kind of the products, uh, you know, fake reviews, um, hate speech, you know, scam, scam, spam, that kind of behavior. So this um, it's 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 a double thing, you know. It's it's really it's about thinking about protecting the consumer. But also, you know, the third parties that are selling on your platform, so that they they have like a, a, a safe and trusted environment in which to operate. And so, it, it, I guess, regu- whilst regulation is coming uh, and and is in place, that is starting to put pressure on marketplaces and platforms to do something about this. You're also seeing consumers becoming more savvy to this, and as the consumers start to last trust lack trust in what they're seeing in terms of reviews or you know or being outright scammed on some from some of the uh, some activities on some platforms then you know the damage in consumer trust can really affect marketplaces and and uh, and platforms mm-hmm. that's really interesting um chris um just in the last sort of closing minutes of the podcast, I, I sure. was just wondering, you know, what plans Persavi has as we, I keep saying this at the end of podcast, as we come out of the pandemic or as we go into the new normal. And I've been kind of saying this for nearly two years now. So let's hope that, that we are yeah. in walking in that direction. But what plans have you got coming up and how can people find you? Um, and yeah, do a, do a bit of a call to action as we used to say in our agency days. Sure. Well, you can find us on all your very best um, social media platforms yeah. and, uh, um, and, but also at pasabi.com, uh, P-A-S-A-B-I.com. And uh, we're just, uh, we're capitalizing on the success. It has been a great uh I mean, it's been a terrible year for everyone, but we've we've we've, we've progressed well um, in terms of the product. Uh, I think both on our uh, both on our kind of monitoring product um, that we use with brands, but especially in the product on the on the platform side, and you think the work we've done with, with Trustpilot and others has shown how effective it can be at really kind of dealing with stuff at source. So we'll be capitalising on that by really reaching out to. Um, to more platforms, helping them uh, understand that we understand their problems and showing them how that we can help them uh, deal with that sort of thing at source. And we're hiring. So if anyone's interested, (laughs) people should be coming to to speak to us. Fantastic. And yeah, you win the prize for, I think, first Scottish accent on the platform podcast. So finally got there, finally got there. And I hope to see you at some of our in-person events in 2022 and online, hopefully, on some of our other online content with Marketplace Risk. So thank you again, Chris, for coming on the podcast today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I hope people can understand it. And I assume that you're <laughs> going to provide some sort of translation for those who don't talk Scots. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast. <laughs>